Welcome to the audio commentaries for Electric Bastion Land. This is episode two, where I will be discussing the artwork of Electric Bastion Land. And today I'm joined by Alex Sorensen, the artist that has turned Electric Bastion Land from an incoherent heap of text into a dense, beautiful living world filled with vermin and hats. Welcome, Alec. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, thank you for the very warm welcome. Um, well, it was interesting because I was, um, I've done a little bit of research on all the guests that I'm having on these commentaries. And uh, you're a very enigmatic figure online. I was trying to find out some background about you so I could uh, throw in some, some sweet references. And um, it's very difficult to find much about you. So would you mind just introducing yourself uh, to the listeners in terms of your sort of your art background and eventually how you got involved with Electric Bastion Land? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm Alec, uh, I guess, international man of mystery. Um, uh, a, a little new to the RPG scene. Um, my So my specialty had always sort of been uh, comics and cartooning. Uh, I guess it, it was only, it was actually really only at the tail end of college that I started really getting into, um, game books sort of as an art form all on their own. I, my first exposure was like Patrick Stewart stuff, but I guess after that, I, I, I worked on a, um, this wonderful powered by the apocalypse based, uh, uh, zine called Obachan Panic by Vincent Chang. So that, that was sort of my, my first big break. And I got to okay. draw a lot of little old ladies with battle axes and fantasy weapons. And that was just wonderful. I, I also did the cover for um, a, a, a zine series that was, I, I believe it was called um, a Codex of Immortals. Um, but And the that was sort of uh, adapting... Um, some of the old AD and D uh, gods and immortals rules for for fifth edition. Cool. So, so, is it fair to say that electric? I mean, I, I, to be honest, this uh, you've, you've worked on more RPG content than I perhaps um, perhaps knew. I've been telling everybody that I discovered this unknown artist um, and sort of how Electric Bastioland was your your sort of big biggest project to date. Um, but yeah, how, how did would you like to say how you sort of got involved with Electric Bastion Land? I mostly I just kind of woke up one morning to an email from you asking if I wanted to illustrate a book, and I thought that sounded very fun and exciting. Um, and I liked everything I'd seen from you from the uh, Discord. Um, yeah, I mean, I so I, I sort of stumbled into the OSR side of things and had been basically chucking up some art samples on the art channel um so uh, it was it, it, no yeah it, it was it was it, uh electric bastion, bastion line was definitely my biggest project today and it was very much a one day i woke up and just kind of started working on it cool well the um the the credit actually goes to um it sort of comes full circle because um I actually, for a long time, I had a, a different artist lined up for the project and that sort of fell through. So there was a very sort of last minute dash for I need an artist uh, right now who can do over 100 pieces very quickly um, and who fits the style of this this book. And um, I asked Patrick Stewart um, if he knew any artists. I know that he sort of keeps his finger on the pulse of this sort of thing. And uh, and you were one of his recommendations. Oh, really? Wow. I, I yeah. didn't know that. Um 
so it's entirely uh, entirely down to him. Yeah. So yeah, this is a Patrick Stewart Ouroboros, uh, apparently. Um, That's it. Yeah. All roads lead back to Patrick. <laughs> All roads lead to Patrick. So now we've got the introductions done. Um, I'm going to sort of move us on to the main section of the commentary. Hmm. One of the things I wanted to discuss, um, first of all, before we get to the art itself, was your own background with role-playing games. So with playing them rather than sort of um, rather than illustrating for them. Um. I gotta say, I illustrate them more than I play them. To be perfectly honest, I'm I'm the person yeah, yeah. I'm the person who sort of idly dreams of maybe playing more RPGs one day. As I sort of frantically put together RPG content that I um, uh, may not get around to using in the immediate future. I, so I, I guess that that puts me more on the conceptual side of things, just because I I, yeah. I, I guess I don't put them into practice quite as much. Um, I mean, I think every every um, RPG player has a heap of books on their shelf that they're never going to use that are just there to sort of look pretty. So I guess you're just at the extreme end of that scale. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm at the uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at the extreme end of just sort of uh, of of making the art books on my shelf, which um, I um, hope to maybe possibly one day get to. Um, but it, yeah, I. But I have been thinking about that a lot, sort of the 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 self-contained art aspect of of um, of sort of RPG stories and content that you make that maybe you don't sort of necessarily get around to playing, but that they sort of still have value in their own. Sometimes even just as a thought experiment. Yeah, and it's like it's getting the balance. Um, I've always found where. Uh, obviously for this book I wanted it to be a beautiful book and I'm very happy with how it's turned out but um, I think on the on the last episode of these commentaries I was talking about how I didn't want to just create a coffee table book I wanted something that was useful mm. um, so I think I think that kind of links into I've actually posted this on a blog post today talking about the approach that you take into the art so um, in fact before I go too far into that um one thing that a few people have asked me about is what was the brief that like that I gave you for Electric Bastion Land? And I want you to be completely honest because I'm very inexperienced with giving briefs to artists. So uh, how did you find the brief of um, Electric Bastion Land? Well, it was brief. Um, the uh, I think he, you gave some... It was very much a less is more type thing because I think you gave some very evocative sort of quick lines that uh that i both knew how to build off of but also just sort of give gave you gave me a lot of ideas like i think um uh part of it was just sort of a list of bullet points it was like one page on google docs but uh, uh there's some great lines of um uh leopards lounging on tarpaulins um i, I think you also gave, gave note that like every every crowd should have at least one person who's not quite human um yeah yeah uh and then just sort of the 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 general theme of uh sort of late 19th early 20th century um but it was very much um a case of go wild with it i think was the the goal and it it was very much go wild but i think i i do feel like you gave me the tools to go wild with um yeah, yeah yeah 
and I think it's interesting. I was when I was looking through the the pieces, um, I can sort of look at some of the failed career pieces, and I can tell roughly where where on the time scale they happened. I think I think for some of the earlier ones, especially sort of the unfinished briefs that you sent through, there's a few, that there was maybe an element of not quite playing it safe, but you can certainly see with some of the later ones, you got quite wild with uh, some of the non-human people in the crowds and some of the animals that were just um, sort of loitering in the street. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting. I think it still all sort of came together um, oh, yeah. into a sort of coherent world. Yeah, I, I, and I think uh, the, the benefit of having about uh, 110-ish pieces to do was that... Um, uh, there was a lot of time to sort of make, uh, uh, make it a process of figuring things out and uh, being able to try a lot of different things to see sort of what clicked with the the bastionness of Bastionland. So, what was the what was the process for sort of a, a failed career? Let's say. Um, I I basically kept some art books just open on my desk to flip through every 30 minutes to be like, hmm, what are some, I, I need to see cool things other people have done and maybe sort of absorb some of that, that energy into, into my psyche. So, uh, I mean, a lot of it was just sort of throwing a bunch of scribbles on a canvas and then eventually picking one of them that worked. Um, and definitely as things went along, I tried to sort of pinpoint certain things that I wanted to have represented more and like a preponderance of of industrial feel. I, I think as things went went on, it, it, it clicked more of uh, this is a city. These people are in a city setting. Um, I, I and I, I guess the yeah the uh, comfort with getting uh, weirder did definitely uh, build up over time. Um, I, I actually specifically remember there was. After you posted some previews, I saw one person just on the Kickstarter page note, I really hope we see more mockeries. And then it occurred to me, it's like, oh man, you know, I don't think I've drawn enough of those. And I think there was that point onward where I made sure to include as many Muppets in the crowd as I could. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I was really happy with. I think it's, you got, you got that one just right because I've, I've been quite clear that my inspiration for them, for the mockeries was hundred percent Muppets. Um, but um, the, yours sort of look, they're close enough that I can look at it and still see the original inspiration, but they don't just look like I've literally transplanted uh, Muppets into the setting. So um, I was really happy with how the Mokus came out, especially yeah. um, just sort of the variety. I think today I was looking at one of the crowds and there was like a presumably a mock elephant sort of striding through. And um, yeah, I, I was really happy with that. Um, so you said you kept some art books open on the on the sort of desk next to you while you were working. Uh, were there any particular influences uh, that you felt were really useful for this project? I, the, I mean, the, the two, the, the two big ones were um, uh, Sergei Topi and uh, uh, David Mack. Not, I, I guess not particularly in, in terms of the style, but so much as I, I think there, there are two artists who do such a wonderful job doing sort of weird fantasy pieces, but uh, um, in a way that keeps them weird. I, I guess the the danger of mixing illustration and uh, this sort of odd conceptual 
science fantasy stuff is that once you get it like con uh, concrete in visual form, it can sort of take away some of the, the mystery, the wonder and potential. And um, Topi and Mac are just so wonderful at making art that sort of adds to the sense of wonder and eeriness and strangeness. Well, I think the, the the balance between the weird and the mundane is something I've always tried to sort of get just right because um, part of the point of having Bastion be a, a relatively modern city is that um, a, a large number of people that are playing the game will at least be familiar with a modern city and it creates a bit of a mundane uh, sort of point of reference so that the weird stuff looks more weird by comparison it's um it's sort of the effect where if everything's weird then nothing's weird and if you you know if you walk into the the sort of the, one of the classic examples is like the Mos Eisley cantina in Star Wars um that that works because people are familiar with the environment of a bar you've got some human characters around but then you've got these weird alien creatures that sort of really evoke questions about who they are but if you if you change that to they they walked into some building that was serving a completely alien purpose that we couldn't relate to, and there were no humans present, it's just it's just too much. Uh, do you get do you get what I'm trying to say? Oh yeah, 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 one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think that's that's something that you managed to hit really well because there's so many little little mundane details, and like you say, a lot of it's the kind of industrial feel. There's lots of sort of chains and pipes and and things and sort of uh the sort of living cities there's lots of trees and branches growing out from places um it just sort of grounds the weird stuff so that when you do look in the background and you see somebody that's got a cube for a head it's sort of it makes it all the more um all the more uh curious about that character oh I i'm glad i uh on the the, the subject of sort of blending mundanity with with uh fantasy or making the sort of uh fantastic grow out of the mundane um i i feel like everything should or at least what i wanted was everything to feel like it has been here for a while like you are just seeing one moment from something that has been going on previously and will continue to go on after whatever sort of uh snapshot it, it is you are looking at um yeah definitely and I, I think just in general, the sort of uh, tradition of weird fiction, and I think part of it was what what helped it split off from sort of the more uh, established uh, sci-fi and fantasy was um, was that that balancing act of of mundaneness and weirdness. Um, there, there is this uh, short story called uh, "In the Hills, the Cities" that's just really un deeply unsettling, um, and, but it, it does it in this uh, wonderful way of uh, of escalating things, where um, it's this very sort of tactile, tangible feeling of two people going on a road trip in a odd place in some odd hills in the European countryside, and then when you get to the cities. And this sort of utter breakdown of the known world—it feels like it, 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 it. The the breakdown is sort of like growing out of. Oh yeah, you know this day-to-day -day road trip. It just happened one day. Yeah, that's it. It's just the even if the structure is something familiar, like a road trip, something everybody's familiar with. 
Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to send me the name of that uh, story afterwards because I'm never going to remember that. Yeah. But I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll try and check that out. Um, one thing I wanted to um, ask you about in particular was how you sort of settled on the look for some of the specific elements of the setting. Um, so there were three... There's three sort of regions of the world that matter. So I think um, you've got obviously Bastion, Deep Country and the Underground. Um, how did you arrive at a sort of destination for how you wanted each of those sections of the world to look? Like you said, this can, this can sort of be felt in the failed careers. I, I ping-ponged around a lot with uh, Bastion sort of settling on things. Um, the 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 diamond and square motif was something i settled on fairly early and that i tried to stick with just because they had this feel of being so intentionally man-made but also um uh not quite lived in like um like i don't know how often you would see say diamonds in 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 day-to-day architecture i guess it gives this this sort of intentionally decorative feel like people sort of went out of their way to make the world look like this um yeah it's almost almost sort of um bumping up against sort of art deco which i get guess is kind of um sort of appropriate for the rough sort of era as well i think there's a few um there's a few spears and swords that have a kind of very diamond like shape to them i remember noticing that when i was looking through some art today and uh, that made me think of sort of um sort of like the tips of skyscrapers you'd see in sort of art deco um architecture uh, a friend of mine uh, rec- gave me the wonderful recommendation of looking up the the mets online archives for fashion because they have like this great stockpile of clothing designs from like the 1890s uh 1900s 1910s and uh, um i i tried to i tried to keep things on sort of um almost right before the 20s like conceivably this is what the world looks like right before everyone loses their minds to sort of the the sort of extravagance of art deco this is sort of the stepping off point to another societal shift that this is sort of just one other part of um and and then i guess oh uh, once you know, after a hundred or so drawings, and I had more or less figured that out, uh, I, I think that sort of gave me a good framework for how to make uh, deep country and the underground uh, play off of that sort of um, be in contrast to everything that sort of Bastion set itself up to be. Uh, the, the, the the obvious one for deep country was ditching the sort of very constructed geometry of bastion first this kind of inky cobwebby feel almost uh uh something kind of fleshy about it um and then with the underground i went for the kind of uh spaghetti uh is how i want to describe it the 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 interlocking spaghetti lines and i i tried to keep those as sort of like a skeleton that i could always come back to as like uh, deep country is uh, di- disor- is disorganized. It's fleshy and cobwebby, and I can always sort of like uh, pull on to these um, this specific visual motif to um, to ground myself. And 
uh, the underground is it's spaghetti. It's weird scribbly lines connecting in ways that kind of hurt to look at. Yeah, I think the, the cobwebs especially, I think when you sort of suggested that as a motif, um, it sort of struck me as just a really perfect fit to, along the idea that sort of deep country is almost sort of being abandoned. And it's um, it's almost like um, like an abandoned house that's been expanded out to an entire region of the world. And yeah, what would you what would you find in a sort of abandoned old house? You'd find cobwebs because no one's been cleaning it because no one cares anymore. And it, yeah, it just sort of fits in with all that. Um, it, it fits in at a very sort of uh, conceptual level with with what I wanted Deep Country to be. So yeah, I was I was I was super happy with the cobwebs, definitely. Yeah, I I I, I think. Um... It's it's the uh, the inclination with RPG books, uh, setting books especially, is uh, to I guess make the setting static. I, I think you 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 made a really interesting choice, sort of emphasizing Bastion is at the beginning of the electoral age. This is sort of a setting that it, it's in the process of changing, and then it uh, which I think set up all the different locations uh, to play off of each other really well. Like this is kind of a explosion hitting off all of these weird chain reactions like deep country sort of the the weird husk as as bastion sort of inhales everything in this one big breath yeah yeah well the so in the previous book um into the odd i, I don't know whether did i actually even send you like a pdf of into the odd the the previous book i think so i i i might just uh check it out on your blog I, I was going through a bunch of your uh older posts for just general sort of mockery and setting information um but i um, I, I think you, you, you did uh, speak a bit about uh, Into the Odd in the um, previous episode, just how you wanted to keep a lot of the, the, the setting building more in in implication rather than something anything outright defined. Yeah, and the sort of the the, the sort of era I was going for there was industrial revolution essentially. So the idea being that people were moving from deep country to Bastion, and people were leaving the country to come and live and work in the city um so the having the sort of this the shift to electric bastion land it's very obvious to see how bastion has shifted because you know it's it's gone from being an industrial city to an electric city so you've got all your neon lights everywhere and electric devices um but the difference in deep country is a little bit more subtle because it's rather than in into the odd deep country was sort of a place on the decline so the decline was starting to happen, whereas in Electric Bastion Land, it's very clear that the decline has been has happened quite some time ago. So things were better before um, because the decline has happened and it's sort of sitting there almost gathering dust. Um, now it's it's sort of completely, completely lost to Bastion in the sort of contest for people. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's I'm really happy with how that got uh, represented in the art as well. One of the things I was going to ask you about for specifics as well. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about mockeries and their sort of um, their sort of inspiration, obviously coming from Muppets, but but the sort of the twist that you put on that. What? How did you manage with uh, so the two other sort of elements of uh, of the sort of characters of the world are machines and um, uh, aliens. So how did you go about? sort of making those um come to life because i think i probably gave quite a loose brief with uh, machines but i 
know that I gave a very very loose brief with aliens. So how did you how did you decide to uh, work with those? Yeah, the aliens were a bit of an odd one. Um, I guess the, the thing I sort of ended up coming. I guess they they don't uh, appear not noticeably i guess in the in the art quite as much like you wouldn't look in a crowd and see ah that funny looking guy over there that's an alien he's from space but uh well well it's kind of what i like is the fact that you if there is just some weird character in the crowd it's not quite clear what they are um it's not like with D&D where you can sort of go to the monster manual and look through it and say oh yes this snake person is clearly a yuan or something um it's it's much more a case of this person here they look very strange but it's up to you to sort of work out what their origin is so I, I think there were quite a few where I looked and I thought yeah that that must be that person must be trying to be an alien but um what I don't want to do is go through all the pieces and ask you for like canonical answers about what each of the characters are but um but one of the ones i've been looking at a lot lately and i think it's it's close to being my favorite is number 45 the retail therapist if you can remember every detail of that picture that you drew um there are two figures there uh there is the kitty figure and there is the the i don't know how to describe the other figure standing on the other side of the uh the presumably the the client uh, clutching a diamond uh wh- where did those two come from um so to be telling us i didn't actually know what retail therapy was before i started this piece and it was only about halfway through that i i googled retail therapy retail therapist um so we, i guess it ended up being a bit literal um is retail therapy not a phrase that you have in america uh not as far as i've been exposed ah. uh but I I'd ne- I I had just assumed so <laughs> I had assumed that retail therapy was a common expression over there because it I mean I I previously worked in retail and it's kind of a the idea that people sort of go and shop and it makes them feel better um so it's it's a it's a play on words that yeah you, you definitely took it a lot more literally than I'd intended but I think that's awesome I'm uh I'm really happy that that happened yeah I, I so I guess with that I, I just wanted the 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 escalation of shopping to be present here, like, um, so, so I, I guess the, the obvious sort of uh, sub-implication would be, what can you buy in Bastion? And then what would a person who is trying to buy away their sorrows buy in Bastion? So I thought, pets and statues, but the statue, it's got to be like a definitely cursed gargoyle clutching a crystal from times of yore and the pet oh he's a statue uh it could be a statue it could just be it, it... well he he definitely lo- i got that he was sort of made out of stone but i took him to be some kind of like he was part of the team that was trying to yeah. sell uh... <laughs> he, 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 he he thought his buddy was having problems so he he drove him to the therapist to uh sort of help him work things out um he, he's actually he's actually the the client's ride back home um yeah, I just love the idea that this shop has three um, retail therapists, and you've got yeah. this this very this very mundane looking woman wearing glasses, oh, um, so- looking looking very bored, and then you've got the, the gigantic monster with the skull um, offering up clothes, and then you've got the the living statue offering up diamonds. I I, I took it on a completely different uh, level. Oh oh no, I I love the idea that they're just three different therapists, all of the same practice. Um, yeah. 
That's amazing. That's actually, I had imagined the kitty figure as just like a pet that this strange man bought at a weird shop somewhere. But I much <laughs> prefer that this um, horrific skull figure is his is another therapist that they're all sort of. I just love, I love how bored she is just <laughs> looking at this absolutely bizarre scene. And she's just sort of like, yeah, I'm done with this job. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, sorry. So with, with aliens, just to get back to uh, what we were saying, I think, yeah, you, they're sort of almost hidden in a couple of specific uh specific um pages uh how about the machines again they're not not nearly as common as the mockeries but how did you um what was your inspiration for the way that the living machines look in bastionland the machines i definitely i i think i i ended up settling more concretely on on a sort of a theme for them than with the aliens um i, I definitely went with sort of like a skeleton motif like rib cages um definitely sort of a recurring thing i i think the the great opportunity with with bastion land was that everything can be kind of a spectrum like it's it, like you said it's not we've got the humans the elves the unt you can yeah, pinpoint yeah. exactly who the race is. It's like this, it, it, it's like, you can see like, okay, how many more odd little things can I do to this human figure? Um, and at what, it, it's almost like a, a roulette wheel of just kind of stretching and contorting and making them a little odder in different ways and then just see where it ends up. And I, I think what really interested me about the machines is that um, uh, they're not like trying to make you know, Skynet, overthrow humanity, establish the rule of machines, like th their identity is so sort of meshed up in their relationship with uh, the the foibles of mortals running around overhead. So um, I, I think with them, I, I definitely wanted a design that sort of calls, still calls to mind some relationship to the human figure. Um, and then I yeah, just, yeah. I just kind of want skeletons because skeletons are cool as hell. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a really... It's, it's there's a reason that so many skulls are used in like iconography. It's a <laughs> it's a very evocative uh, icon. A skull. When when I was receiving these art pieces from you, I was so focused on just getting them in and thinking, oh god, we're never going to get them all on time. We're never going to get a <laughs> hundred fail careers all illustrated. Uh, so I was just so happy when each one came in, and I looked, I'd look at it and I'd be like, yes, it looks great, and I'd look at the uh, the main figure and be like, yep, yeah, I love it, great. Um, put them into the document, have a very quick look at it, and then get on with something else so in the last sort of week or so i've actually gone back and looked over the pieces in a lot more detail and there's so much i've missed um you, you could easily have snuck in something terrible and i wouldn't have noticed um but there's so, so many little details is there anything that you're particularly uh happy that you put in there or any pieces that you're particularly happy with for some reason i ended up like really fixating on the constable of birds and creeping things and it ended up taking like a I think I probably spent the longest on that out of all the failed careers. And I don't know why the, the, ah, yes, this is the career for the person who, who arrests animals for public indecency. It just sort of ended up, I want this, I want this figure to be like beautiful and somber. And I want them to be emerging out of a wall of, of wires and flowers and disconnected bulbs. And there's yeah. going to be a cat in manacles hanging from the background. <laughs> um, so I, uh, but, uh, Especially with that one, that kind of captured um, all the things that sort of felt inspiring to me about Bastion Land and all the things I wanted to try and convey of just sort of just off the wall, bonkers setup with this kind of 
with the sort of intersection of uh, electricity, wires, huge flowers, animals, then someone, then uh, almost like a beatific figure holding their animal catching net. And I hadn't noticed until just now, because um, this is one of the ones I had looked at in some detail, because I remember noticing the cat and being mildly horrified by, by this cat hanging from manacles. Um, and I, I noticed the bird hanging from his um, from his feet, but I hadn't noticed that the bird is wearing a jacket. Yes. Um, which is presumably the crime that he's being held for. Yeah, maybe he was like overdressing. Um, there's kind of yeah. a, a set limit, like, you know. This is a business casual sort of thing. You can't just go black tie. That's that's very indecent. I think those um, those few careers at the end, uh, the ones that were guest written. Uh, so there were three careers by Patrick Stewart, just to go back to Patrick, and there were three careers by Arnold Kemp. Um, I think is it. I, I'm assuming you did those towards the end of the process by looking at them. Well, I I know you didn't sort of work in order uh, from one to a hundred, but um, were these towards the end? Some of them were I so to try and uh, keep up with uh, the schedule. Basically, if at any point I hit like maybe a twenty-minute thing of just kind of like pulling on my hair, thinking I have no idea what I'm going to do here, I was like, okay, I'm just going to switch to a totally different career. So there was a lot of ping pong around leaving thing, leaving things like half done, and then coming back to them a month later to be okay. So it's been a month. I can probably cook something up for this now, um, like. I think subperson was, the, or um, I, I believe the name was changed in the final document. The, yes, the name has now changed to Tunnel Stray. Yeah, the Tunnel Stray. That was like one of the very early ones. Um, the constable was actually like in the middle of things. Um, and then the Tuck Tuck driver and the, uh, the map thief were like, I think the map thief was the very last one I did. Yeah, because I think those last few... It's, it's almost like I say, I don't know if it's just because they were the last ones I received as well, but it feels like you can really see that you've sort of got a real look for these uh, these ones. I think these these ones at the back are some of the best illustrations in the book, um, especially the um, the exotic food supplier. I think there's just a lot going on there. Uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of characters that, that raise a lot of questions uh i wanted to ask you about this actually because i was looking at this today the exotic food supplier number 96 um do you have that piece to hand yeah i, I have the I, I have all the pieces splayed out in so front of me. the to the in, towards the bottom left um there is a figure that has a jar in in place of its head oh yeah and yeah is, that, is, is there a frog inside that is that meant to be a frog yeah that, that's meant to be a frog i I think because I did this right after I did the body jockey, so I was sort of in a in a body jockey sort of place. Um, That's awesome! I love it because I, I think I'd, I'd already seen the um, the goldfish bowl head character, um, and I I love anything in a jar. I think brain in a jar is one of my overused D and D monsters because I think it's just such an evocative image. I've got no idea why it sticks with me so well, but. Um, the idea of a frog in a jar controlling a body is uh, is fantastic. I love that one. No, oh, yeah, you you are one hundred percent right. Jarheads are wonderful. I I get really defensive over the old red hood design where he just has that ridiculous red dome for a head, and people are like, "No, that's weird. It looks like he's wearing a dildo." And I say, "No, this is wonderful. This is peak character design. Never malign the look <laughs> of jars again to my face." 
I did a, again going back to schools. I I have so many abandoned games, but one of the abandoned games I had uh, was a sort of sci-fi game that was based entirely around the idea of people having schools for heads. I think it's it just works. It's a good look, um, and yeah. I, we managed to, we managed to squeeze them into the uh, into this book with the experiment survivor has a school for a head. Yeah. So um, they they did manage to sneak in. Um, so if I if I were to push you to choose uh, one of the failed careers, uh, I know you just mentioned the map thief being the last one that you did. Um, which would you say is the one failed career piece that you are most proud of? Most proud of? Um, oof, that's a tough one. I think... I think the crypto historian, maybe. I, th- I think that was ah. the, the very last one I did. Yeah, that was right at the end. My my worry, I think, especially in the middle, was: um, Am I hitting off all the right beats? Am I? Uh, uh, if someone was looking this, would they would they see this and think, Ah, yes, this is a city. Ah, yes, this is Bastion. Ah, yes, this is what Bastion looks like. And I think w- w- when I got towards the end, I was like, I-, I feel comfortable with this city. I feel comfortable with what I've established. Um, and I think at this point, I can just kind of go off the wall and. Uh, get get all you know get funky all over this and it's sort of um the, the career itself is sort of based around sort of alternate histories um so it's kind of like giving you free reign to just do something crazy like the whole sort of being trapped in an hourglass like it doesn't make any sense but it looks awesome and it doesn't need to make any sense it's it fits the career uh perfectly um so yeah good choice i think if i i'm going to really struggle to choose one um I think the one that I have the most sort of fondness for, and it's actually uh, sat on on my wall at the moment in a frame. Um, I have sort of nine of the first pieces to come through. I was given a rather lovely gift by my partner, um, a sort of framed copy of nine of the first pieces to come through that I can put on my wall. And the one that when you sent the sort of the first, I think six pieces through, the one that I saw and I thought this is this guy gets it like this is gonna look good i'm happy with the way this is going um is the science mystic and i think it's just got that perfect balance of being it's it's weird um but somehow feels kind of grounded with the kind of the hefty sort of box that she's holding um and just the the sort of the characters to either side of her you've got to the right you've got like a little sort of jawa looking hooded figure and um and to the left you've got some I, I again i assumed this guy was an alien um he looks like he's got a rock for a head and he's wearing like a sort of cool jacket so yeah the science mystic i think for me was the one that sort of uh that i've got the most affection for i i also really like that one i i so i, I went into it with the image of like you know that person who kind of like shuffles out of an alleyway in a trench coat and is like, Psst, hey kid, you want to buy a light bulb? And they just kind of like pull out a, pull, open their jacket and just reveal like a rose of, of mysterious light bulbs to some, to peer pressure some unsuspecting teenager. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, and I, I think that that was... I think that was the first sort of crowd scene I did. Um, so I think that was that was also definitely sort of a turning point of just 
um, figuring out what a crowd would look like in Bastion. Yeah, and just the sort of this because you've got the sort of the foreground figures that are uh, in quite good detail, and then in the back it's just silhouettes. But I think even the silhouettes are creating character. You can see that some are very tall, some have got long necks. Um, it sort of it says a lot with a very little in in the in the background there. Um, I think we're almost finished, but I'm going to close close out with an anecdote because you just reminded me of. Uh, something that happened to me um, that I think perfectly represents why I love uh, cities as a setting. So I live in Manchester in the UK, sort of the second biggest city in England. And um, it was around sort of a, a dusky sort of time in the city centre. We, we were we were in town um, in a sort of relatively quiet street and a man, a man in a very sort of a, quite a beat up looking tracksuit uh, sort of comes walking down the street and says hey mate mate um calling me over and i think okay here we go this guy's gonna try and either either mug me or sell me drugs or um or just say something incoherent to me and he says uh mate do you want to do you want to buy some gammon and he uh, he unzips his his tracksuit and he has uh like three packs of gammon steaks from from a supermarket that he's I'm going to assume that he's stolen them um so I sort of politely declined and to be fair to him he was very nice and he said okay no worries cheers and and went on his way um but I just want to know how the rest of that guy's night went like did he manage to sell this gammon out of out of his uh that sort of yeah I think I, I would I would think I would be safer buying drugs on the street than I would buying meat from someone's jacket um, yeah, I, I, yeah <laughs> I don't fancy my chances with the the food hygiene levels there um but yeah that that happened well after the book was complete but I um, I just thought oh I wish I could have gone back and put in this uh, street meat seller uh this would have been a perfect failed career exotic food seller yeah yeah well it's this is anything but exotic this is incredibly mundane food <laughs> being sold from a from from a jacket well i mean um, you never know because you didn't buy it that's true i i mean i, I did i did regret it afterwards I, but the, the thing is i was i was literally leaving a restaurant and the guy sort of headed down the street to catch me almost so he must have thought this he must have looked at me and thought this is a man who's clearly just eaten a meal but could probably go for some gammon um i must have seemed like a, a ripe target but unfortunately yeah it didn't work out for him so i think we can uh wrap it up there um thank you for coming on uh and giving your insight alec I, this is the first time we've actually spoken i think properly yeah i think so that hasn't been on discord so uh it's, it's been good to talk to you yeah, um and i look forward to seeing all the all your beautiful art uh in print uh thank you looking forward to it too so if people do want to see more of your art is there somewhere they can do that uh yeah i try to put everything up on my uh uh twitter um uh oddspod o d d s b o d um and uh i i keep things more pleasantly archived on instagram as well well Thank you, Alec, and thank you for listening to episode two of the Electric Bastion and audio commentaries. And if you join me next week for episode three, I will be talking about failed careers with Arnold Kemp. Okay, say goodbye, Alec. Goodbye. Goodbye.